Praise the Lord for that. Amen. I trust that you have had that experience and know that reality that the Lord's the best thing's ever happened to you. I'm certainly glad that I met my wife. She's a wonderful person, but there's nothing better in my life than the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody may say, that's not very nice to say, but if she thinks any different about her and the Lord, then there's a problem there too. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm a pretty wonderful guy, (laughs) but I'm not the best thing ever happened in her life. I'll guarantee you that. The Lord is. Amen. Well, anyway, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of... Well, why'd you say amen to that? But anyway, <laughs> Revelation chapter 21, please. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read through the first five verses. And again, this being the first Sunday of the new year, I want to just kind of encourage you today with a very simple message, very simple thoughts, nothing deep or anything. But I just want you to realize that we serve a God of second chances. And I mean to tell you, He's willing to give you a fresh start today. So let's go ahead and take a look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, or verse 1, excuse me. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This particular passage follows the great judgment of lost mankind. And um, we're going to see here that the Lord has opened the books. 
And the deeds of man have been judged and judged for their sinfulness, judged for their wickedness. And now the Lord is going to make all things right. He's going to fix everything, if you will. Every atrocity, ever, every heinous deed, every, every bad situation that's ever come to pass or been committed, every ruthless and heartless act is going to be made right here. Vengeance is mine, he says. I will repay, saith the Lord. And for every act that prompted a... How could God permit that? How could God allow that? Why would He let that happen? If He's really God, why did He permit that? Every one of those situations are going to be made right at that point. The perpetuators of every sinful act and is now going to reap the consequences of their actions. And He makes a statement, however, that brings great hope to you and I. That brings great hope to anyone who believes in Him, trusts in Him, relies upon Him. He makes a promise very much like our politicians do. He makes a promise like maybe even a parent does or possibly a friend or family member that you've had in the past. Oh, that's right. Uh, all things new. It's all going to be better now. It's all going to be different now. But the thing is, is that God's making this promise now. And it will indeed be. Now listen, we have good intentions, even as parents. And we'll say, well, you know, we put that in the past and we don't worry about that no more. Uh, It's a fresh start, a new start for you. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but I found that people told me that really didn't mean it. But when God says it, He means it. He means it. And in our passage today, in chapter 21, verse 5, He simply says, I make all things new. I make all things new. Now, although this statement is being made following the final judgment, we don't have to wait. We can experience that fresh start today. If you've ever, have you ever gone to Cracker Barrel? I mean, I don't know. I, I used to go to Cracker Barrel a lot more than I do now, and I'm going to probably try it again. I've had a couple bad experiences, to be frank with you. Yeah, I know. It's my luck. My lot in life. It doesn't matter how many plates come out. I always get the one with the smallest portions. <clears throat> you know how that goes. I guess that stems from a, growing up in a home with four brothers or three brothers and, and a mom and a dad. And, and as soon as the food came out, we're already eyeing up which one we want. But in this case, it seems that lately it's been my lot. But nonetheless, uh, Cracker Barrel Restaurant, if you've ever gone there, uh, you sit down at the table and there, uh, as they begin to ask you what you want to drink and so forth, you see this little triangular-shaped object on the uh, table. And there's all those little pegs in it. You ever see the, the pegs? In, and, 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 and there's one empty one, you know, one without a peg in it, one hole without a peg. Now, the object, of course, if you play that little game, and it is to leave one peg, just one. And so as you jump over all of them, you eliminate them, you take them off of the little, you know, uh, uh, a triangular-shaped board. And uh, if you would ever read the, the, the actual board, it says things like, jump all but one game, okay? And then it goes on to say, jump each tee and remove it. Leave only one, you're genius. Leave two, you're pretty smart. Leave three, and you're just plain dumb. And then it says, leave four morn, M-O-R apostrophe N. You're just plain ignoramus. 
I remember I started jumping the pegs and I realized I wasn't going to do too good. So what did I do? I scrapped it. I started over. I started fresh. So I tried again and I realized at that point there's no way in the world I'm going to end up an ignoramus. And I started again and I started again until finally there were two left on the board and I thought I'm quitting being pretty smart. (laughs) But you know, life doesn't always afford us that fresh start that we would like. But I want you to know God does. I know they're kind of similar, and I realize, listen, there are consequences to our actions, and there are consequences to our sin, and we make bad decisions, and we can't assume that all of those are going to go away. That's not what God's talking about. But may I say that God will allow us to begin where we are at to have a fresh and a new start. You'll bear the scars and you'll bear the marks, but you'll have a fresh start. And I want to share this morning just a few times in our lives that may require a fresh start. Just a couple of those times in our lives that may require a fresh start. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you once again for the privilege that we have to first come to your throne and ask for your power and your presence and Lord, this morning, as we face a new year, Lord, with anticipation, I hope, but as we face a new year, Lord, help us to realize that you are a God of second chances, and you do allow us to have a fresh start. And Lord, there's been so many, Father, through the years, that each and every one of us, honestly, Lord, who have found ourselves in a place where we needed a fresh start. Lord, this morning, may our hearts not be heavy. But instead, may they be light. May we, Father, be trusting and leaning on you. And may we realize you're a God that keeps his promises. And although, Father, a husband or wife, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, or possibly a boss, or somebody may not ever forgive us, so to speak, Lord, we know you'll give us a fresh start if we'll simply yield. Bless us now. We'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When might we need a fresh start? (laughs) Might need a fresh start after sorrow after some sorrow in your life. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they left Bethlehem, and they came into a new country, a country called Moab. They began to dwell there. and Of course, they had fled Bethlehem. They had fled the house of, uh, uh, the, the, the house of bread. Why? Because there was a famine in the land. And they make their way to Moab, and there the two boys and their mom and dad settle in, and they begin to live their life. And The two boys ultimately marry, and they marry women of Moab, the Bible tells us. The one is named Orpah, beautiful name, and the name of the other is Ruth. Now, you may love Orpah. I wouldn't call my child Orpah. Excuse me, Orpah, could you come here? Now, that's not me, okay? That might be you. But nonetheless, married Orpah and, of course, well, then again, Malon and Chilion. I mean, with names like that, who cares what what the names of the girls were that they married? But nonetheless... These, uh, these two women uh, ultimately marry these sons, and they dwell there, actually, the Bible tells us, about ten years. They're ten years with these two men. Unfortunately, along the way, Ruth's husband dies. He passes away. But because the two boys are there, they're taking care of their mother and raising their family, so to speak, and uh, meeting the needs, they remain there in Moab. But after the ten years, the two boys also die, leaving just Ruth and just the two daughter-in-laws. After considering it, praying over it, giving it some time and thought, 
the hurt, the heartache, the difficulties they're facing, they choose to go back to uh, their homeland. Ruth makes her way back, and uh, we see here that uh, along the way, um, excuse me, Naomi makes her way back, and I'm getting it all mixed up, aren't I? So, yeah, Ruth. Ruth is never married to whatever. But anyway, so Naomi ends up choosing to go back, and Ruth says, I'll go with you, uh, and, and I'm sure she probably called her mom by that time, or she called her, you know, Naomi. But anyway, she said, I'll go with you. And, uh, okay. So anyway, I'll go with you. And so she makes her way back. And, and, and of course, we know the other daughter-in-law stays back with her hometown. They go back to Bethlehem now. And they return home. The Bible tells us in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now we know what the definition of Mara is. Based on Exodus chapter 15, verse 23, the Bible says, For they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the water of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. So Mara means bitter in the Bible. And so what we're saying is, Naomi's saying, basically, I am bitter. I am upset. I do not agree with how God has dealt with me. I am not in the least bit pleased with how the Master supposedly has cared for me and my family. As a matter of fact, he has totally disregarded us. He had no concern for me whatsoever. He took my husband and he took my sons and I am not happy about it. That's what she really said. She was bitter. You've never known anybody that's lost a family member or friend that was bitter, did you? have you? Of course you have. That is exactly why Naomi needed a fresh start. Do you know after sorrow, it's easy to look at God and shake your fist. It's easy to look at God and question whether or not He's really good or whether He really cares. It is easy at times. Sometimes our walk with God is not so awfully close. Sometimes we are made aware of those difficult times that we are not so spiritual as we had thought. And we realize at that point that our life was not as solid and grounded on the Word of God as we think. And we realize at that point that Maybe we need a fresh start. I'm glad that God brought about a fresh start, though. You know, Naomi herself, I don't know that she would have really began afresh, but God enabled her to start again. God kick-started her. See, what ultimately happens is that Ruth meets a man by the name of Boaz, and the two of them ultimately marry, and they bring forth, other, uh, uh, bring forth a child, and ultimately that child is involved in the line of Christ. Naomi, who was bitter now, looks at her new life there in Bethlehem and sees her grandbaby and realizes what's going on and sees that God is good and that God has never forgotten her and that God has always cared about her. And she says, I am ready to start afresh. Thank God for His mercy and thank God for His goodness in my life. A fresh start. God brought that about. And I say, if you are dealing with some sorrow in your life, You don't need to run from God. You need to draw nigh to God. And you need to realize that He will give you a fresh start. And you don't have to live with bitterness. And you don't have to live with envy. You can live with joy and victory today. 
God alone brings a fresh start to our lives after experiencing such great sorrow. And He'll do that for you. He'll bring you a fresh start. But you cannot find that fresh start away from Him. You find it in His presence. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you haven't experienced sorrow, but you've experienced some failure. I think of John Mark. Paul is on his deathbed and he utters these famous last words over in the book of 2 Timothy. Turn there if you would, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Powerful passage, one that I trust each and every one of us can utter the day we close our eyes in death or at least come close to it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight, the apostle says. I have finished my course. By the way, this is not just the words that an apostle should be able to say. These aren't just the words that a preacher ought to be able to say. These are the words that every believer, every child of God ought to be able to share at the point of their death. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. It's in this setting, as he prepares to die, that he, he ties up some loose ends in his life. He ties up some loose ends in his ministry. He tells Timothy to bring a certain young man with him by the name of Mark. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, he says. Now again, this Mark was the one who so disappointed the Apostle Paul as they traveled together. Him, Barnabas, and Mark were out on a missionary journey. And during the course of that journey... Mark, for whatever reason, many believe if you read through and you begin to dig into the Word, that it appears that Mark had become a little disenchanted with the work. He'd become a little bit concerned about the ministry, and he ultimately did not have the ability to continue on. He was not strong enough at that point. I'm not sure why he quit. I'm not sure why he went back. I don't know why he gave up on that trio of men that were out. Can you imagine... Can you imagine with me how much of an honor it would have been to travel with the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine with me how great it would have been to see the miracles and to watch him operate and function in the power of the Holy Spirit? And yet, Mark, this young man found himself discouraged, found himself distraught and ultimately leaves, goes back home without finishing the job. Paul's confidence is shaken in Mark. He obviously feels he cannot trust him at this point, and he refuses to take Mark with them again. Why would he bring Mark back then at the end of his days? Why would he ultimately say, hey, uh, bring Mark with you? 2 Timothy 4.11, only take Luke, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry, Paul says. That's the end of his life now. He was in the midst of his ministry. Mark departs, goes back home, does not finish the job, disappoints the apostle. Now he says at the end of his life now, bring him with you. He is profitable unto me. What has happened? What took place in Mark's life that made him now profitable to this apostle? I mean, possibly he was a young man that started out in the ministry and made a few mistakes along the way. It's obvious. 
Maybe he wasn't as mature and prepared as he thought himself to be as he headed out on that journey. Maybe he wasn't equipped to the degree that he needed to be in order to minister at such, in such high-pressure situations. I mean, there was no doubt that everywhere Paul went, there was persecution. Whatever the circumstance was, he failed. But God gave him a fresh start. God gave him a fresh start. And so before the end of Paul's life, he is acknowledged as being valuable. Mark is valuable. Mark is necessary in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul now. Obviously, Mark accepted God's offer of a fresh start. I'm sure he could have left disappointed, discouraged, down in the dumps, depressed even, and said, forget the ministry. Forget this. I'm sick of it. It wrecked me and it ruined me. I'm done with God and I'm done with church and I'm done with the ministry. But he didn't. God, in the quiet of night, I'm sure, whispered in his ear, I still love you, Mark. And Mark, I still want you to be close to me. And I still want your fellowship and I still want your, 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 uh, your, your relationship with me to be true and strong. Lord Mark, I've not given up on you. Don't give up on me. I'll give you a fresh start. And Mark obviously accepted that fresh start. And he made the best of it. You know, each of us in our failures are offered a fresh start. And by the way, there's not one of us that hasn't failed at something. Don't allow the devil to deceive you into believing that your past failures are so great that you can never recover. Don't, don't let that happen. You don't understand how I've failed. You don't understand where I've ended up. You don't know where I've gone. It does not matter. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that your past failures are too big for him. You can start afresh and anew. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 37, the Bible says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Man, I am so glad today that John Mark didn't just quit the ministry, just didn't give up on God, give up on his faith. I'm glad that he accepted the challenge of God to take a fresh start, and he applied it, and he yielded to it, and he allowed God to work in his life. And ultimately, in the end, we note from the Apostle Paul himself, the very one who said he is not ready to travel with me. He is not mature enough. He's not capable. He is not qualified. I will not travel with Mark. I will not minister any longer. I will not have a quitter on the team. I'm glad John Mark didn't say, well, I might as well give up then. Nope. He heard the voice of God and said, I'll give you a fresh start, son. Boy, he took it. He ran with it. Before it's over with, Paul saying, you bring him to me. He's profitable to me. Maybe you need a fresh start today. A fresh start due to sorrow. A fresh start due to failure. <clears throat> maybe you've not experienced any one of those lately, but how about maybe a fresh start after disobedience? After disobedience, I think probably if we were honest, we beg God for one of those often, don't we? (laughs) 
Jonah, turn there if you would please, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now we know that God had called or commissioned Jonah to witness to those in Nineveh. We, We read that already. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire at the time. Now... It's helpful to remember that the Assyrians had invaded Israel in 721 B.C. When they invaded Israel, the ten northern tribes, that is, remember we talked about the fact that they had split at one point. It was not long after 1050 A.D. or that they uh, uh, had, had ultimately split after the reign of Solomon. And so now we have the ten northern tribes, we have the southern tribes, and these ten northern tribes go into Assyrian captivity in 721 B.C. <clears throat> they ultimately take captive the, the people of Israel, and some they, remain, they allow to remain behind others. They literally drug out of their cities. They planted them there in the, the Assyrian capital or nation and so forth. And, and, and the, the, the Israelites at this point begin to assimilate into that culture. They marry uh, Assyrians and they, they ultimately build homes in Assyria. They, they allow themselves to even adopt their religious practices of idolatry. And so now we have Jonah. And he is told to go to Assyria, or go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, to basically pagans, those that are not part of the house of Israel, and to go and give them a warning to repent of their sin so that God may spare their city. And of course, think about that for a minute. Here's the enemy, if you will, and God is telling Jonah, who thinks he's the good guy, to go to the bad guys and give them a warning about God who's going to destroy their city if they don't repent. Now, it may seem that he was heartless and ruthless and that he cared nothing about people, but may I say that if we had an enemy and say there was an enemy overseas as we know that say ISIS or some group like that that is fighting against our way of life and ultimately taking the lives of our young boys and girls and we are turned around and are told now you go to them directly and you win them. I'm going to tell you if you've lost a child to them, if you've lost a family member, it'd be much harder for you to go there and do that than it would be for somebody that had no beef directly with them. Listen, this man probably had a direct problem with these people. They were the enemy, and now God's telling him to go to them and witness. He runs from God. He runs from his responsibility to serve the Lord. He leaves the job that God had given him to do, and he steps away from God. It's interesting, according to the passage, he went down to Joppa, then found a ship headed to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. That means that he headed down before he headed away. See, when a person moves down or away from God, it won't be long before they're away from God's call and work for their life. See, 
when you take a step away from the Lord or down, let me tell you something before it's over with, you'll give up the work too. But that goes after you've already stepped away, mind you. You have to understand that. You know, often we're very surprised with people. Oh, I can't believe that they just got up and walked away from God. They just walked away from the church. No, they'd already stepped away from God. They were just continuing in the work. But the work goes after we've stepped away. After we've stepped down and backed away from God. See, the heart leaves, then the feet follow. That's how it always works. And that's what we see in Jonah's life. Jonah was disobedient to God. I mean, to an nth degree. I mean, a big degree. We also know that God gave him a fresh start. God didn't quit and God didn't give up on Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad when we rebel against God, He doesn't leave us? He comes back and says, hey, wake up. Wake up. I'm still talking to you. Would you just listen to me? By the way, God may do that through a family member, through a godly friend, through a pastor or a leader in the church. God may do that. Not in the middle of a night, in the midst of a dream. No, I don't know that God will do that to these days as much. But what He will use are those around you. What He will use is the Word of God if you just won't get away from it. But usually once you've stepped away from God, once you've gotten away from the work, you get away from the Word too. And you need somebody like me. And you need somebody like your Sunday school teacher. And you need somebody like a godly mom or dad. You need somebody like a brother or sister or an aunt or an uncle that still loves Jesus Christ and is still serving the Lord to say, Hey, wake up! You need that if you get to that place in your life. And boy, God didn't let Jonah alone either. And he said, I come to you again, Jonah. I just want to wake you up. I just want you to know I still care. I want you to know you still got a work to do. I'm, I'm not, just because you're running doesn't mean the job's still not yours and it's not there yet. So he goes on to say there in the passage. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Interestingly enough, three days became one when he made his way the second time. Well, I tell you, he got the message, didn't he, in the belly of that whale? And I'm going to tell you, if Jonah was any kind of person like we are, man, when he went overboard and that whale swallowed him up, i got to believe at that very moment there was a couple things running through his mind. Man! He did one or two, one or two things. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It took three days for him to get where God could finally get in touch with Jonah, obviously. So i got to believe the moment he hit the whale's belly, he's like, man! I can't get away from God no matter what I do. And now here I am in the belly of a whale. This is the craziest thing ever. I hate this. He may have been mad at God too, i got to believe. But after three days of kind of, just kind of soaking in the juices of that belly, kind of wore on him. And he thought, wow, I'm still here. <laughs> 
I can't believe God's been gracious enough to lead me and I haven't died yet even. Boy, that word came to Jonah and he said, you know what, it's time, Lord. I'm, I'm on your side. I'm all in now. Boy, he spit him up on that, that, uh, uh, that beachhead. Boy, he took off a running and in one day he made a three-day journey. He didn't waste any time. He was moving, putting down, putting them up and putting them down, as my dad used to say. The Jonah 4.10 tells us, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. You know what? They listened to the message that God had given to Jonah. By the way, I think it's important to remember and always understand that it doesn't matter what your message is. All that matters is what God's message is. See, the Bible tells us that he had a message for Jonah. Go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. See, Jonah, I'm sure, had a message for him. (laughs) You're going to burn. All of you are going to burn in 40 days. (laughs) Finally get what you deserve. That would have probably been his message. But God's was, repent. Get right. I'll forgive your sin. I'll save your souls. And I'll save your city. But Jonah preached what God wanted him to preach. Not probably what was in his heart, but was on the heart of God. And the Bible tells us, it's estimated, of course, that there were 50,000 souls in that city. The Bible tells us that they indeed repented of their evil deeds, and they were saved. What's the great moral of the story, though, based on what we're sharing today? God gave Jonah... A second chance. He gave him a fresh start. He spit him up on that beachhead and he said, Now, Jonah, it's up to you what you're going to do with this chance. It's up to you what you're going to do now that you've gone through this three days in the belly of a whale. What are you going to do about it? You're going to obey me this time? You're going to follow me this time? You're going to do what I've called you to do or are you going to run again? It's up to you. I've given you a fresh start. You've been rebellious and disobedient. Here it is, another chance. I say that's exactly what God does for us. Maybe you've been rebellious in your life. Maybe you've done some things and you know in your heart you've been wrong and and that God owes you a trip in the belly of a whale, really. But I want you to know, as much as you may deserve the trip in the belly of a whale, there's a loving God in heaven that says, I'll give you a fresh start. Won't you take the fresh start today? Maybe avoid the belly. Avoid that journey and just start fresh today, right where you're at. He'll do that for you. Well, I'll tell you what, we need those fresh starts, don't we? We need those fresh starts. Finally, let me just conclude with this one. We've already talked about the idea and the fact that we may need a fresh start from sorrow. We may need a fresh start from failure, a fresh start from disobedience, but maybe you need a fresh start. We all need a fresh start. After being saved. After trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. A fresh start. Turn if you would to Acts chapter 9. Verse 1 please. Acts chapter 1 verse 9. Or excuse me. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. (laughs) Let's go that route instead. The Bible says there in chapter 9, verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went, out, went unto the high priest. And 
desired of him letters to Damascus, that, uh, to the synagogues that he found any of this way, whether they be, were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He, as we're going to see in verse 9, rose, not seeing anyone, because he was blind. He was three days without sight, verse 9 says, and neither did eat nor drink. I've kind of moved along a little further than we had anticipated, but you'll notice here that he's breathing out threatenings. This is a very ruthless adversary of Christ. He persecuted anyone and everyone that named the name of Christ. His every waking moment was spent hunting down those who professed the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, if you will, he was the devil's hit man. He had so disregard, disregarded Christianity, was so disgusted with it, that he went searching after those who believed it. But he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He met the very one he was persecuting, if you will. The very God that he had battled, the very God that he had sought to put out of existence, the very God who he did not believe in, in his own in that sense, he literally met him on the road. And you know when he met him? The Bible says he's a new man. He had a new nature and he had a new ambition and he had new goals and he had new desires. His heart was tender toward Christ and it was tender toward those that he had formerly persecuted. I mean, he was a changed man. He was a new creature. In his epistle to the Corinthians, he expresses that change. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's a fresh start, my friend. A fresh start is what we possess the very moment we invite Christ into our life. The very moment we trust Him as our Lord and Savior. A fresh start. You know, we go from being bound in sin to being free indeed, the Bible says. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We go from being destined for hell to becoming, uh, to literally having a home in heaven. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
We go from being enslaved to our flesh to being empowered to live a victorious Christian life. According to Romans chapter 6 verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's a fresh start, my friend. That's a fresh start. And that's exactly what the Lord has given to us after we were saved. A fresh start. Now maybe today you are bound in your sin. Maybe today you know that you are in opposition to the Heavenly Father. Oh, you know you're a creation of God, but you've never been uh, saved and received of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never recognized Him as the only way, the truth, and the life. Let me tell you today that if your life is going nowhere, which it is without Jesus Christ, I want you to know the moment you take Him, the moment you receive Him, the moment you accept Him, the moment you trust Him, you are given a fresh start. You go from being dead in sin and alive in Christ. We go from being condemned to hell to being citizens of heaven. What a wonderful thing that is. You go from walking this road of life alone. You say, no, I've got my family and I've got my friends. Let me tell you something. You and I both know that's not really true because when you close your eyes at night and you lay in that bed, I don't care how many are around you, the reality is it's just you and darkness. Unless there's someone else higher and bigger and more powerful than those that have to sleep at night. His name is Jesus Christ and He's alive today and He's seated on the right hand of the Father and He wants to make His abode in your life and He wants to live with you and He wants to to enjoy your fellowship and He wants to walk with you and talk with you night and day. A fresh start. A fresh start. God's offering you a fresh start this morning. Are you steeped in sorrow due to a loss? He's offering you a fresh start. He's offering you a life with His comfort, solace, hope, and peace in your future. I mean, are you enslaved by the memory of failure? Maybe it was a failed relationship. Possibly you failed to keep your word. You failed to finish the job. You failed to live up to the expectations of others. I don't care what the failure was. Jesus is offering you a fresh start today. Are you overwhelmed with the regret of disobedience toward God? You know you've rebelled against Him. You know you've disobeyed Him. Do the consequences of rebellion wreak havoc among your members? Does it keep you from enjoying life itself? The Lord extends a fresh start to you today. His forgiveness brings cleansing and closure to the past and places you on the road to joy and blessing all over again. Are you burdened down with sin today? There's never been a time or a place in your life when you called upon the Savior and honestly... You're making good time, but you're going nowhere fast. And one day you're going to close your eyes in death and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God and maybe others in your life will begin to speak to you about that and make you aware of that great need in your life. I want you to know hell is real. And I want you to know heaven is real. 
And I want you to know there is a God in heaven that loved you so much that he literally left heaven, came to earth, became man, all man was all God, and he hung sinlessly on a cross and paid your sin debt so that you don't have to. And if you'll receive and accept him today, I want you to know he'll give you a fresh start. A life filled with joy, peace, and purpose. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, it is, of, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. A fresh start. God's offering you that fresh start today. Whether you're lost or saved, whether you're on your way to heaven or not, He's offering you a fresh start, my friend. What will you do with that fresh start? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd work in our lives, that, Father, you'd bring about the necessary changes that we need in our lives. And, Lord, as we begin this new year, 2017, Lord,